Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Good morning. Welcome to Rescue Radio. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are the Lord. And we pray that your kingdom comes, that your will be done. To you be the power and the glory and the kingdom forever and ever. And that, Lord God, you are in control of all things. And yet you have given us a free will. And I pray today as we examine your word regarding the topic of hell, that you would help us to understand what this looks like, what this means to us, to you, and how it works. Father, I pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive the revelation of your love and your truth. I thank you, Lord, for causing us to speak as the oracles of God, to be rightly dividing your holy word of truth. We also pray and the promise back to you, Lord God, that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that no word said, no deed done, no action taken by the evil one against us will be able to bring forth shame, trouble, or reproach as we rest our hope fully in you. And trust in your promises that you do not lie, that you keep your word. I thank you for giving us courage to believe you for the promises in spite of what our lives might look like right now. I thank you, Lord, for deliverance from those troublesome things, Lord God. I thank you, Lord God, that what the devil is intending to to do to destroy us, you are actually using to make us, Lord God, and conform us to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And so today we thank you that you are the counselor. May your spirit lead us and guide us in this discussion Amen. Good morning. Amen. Good morning. Well, got a tough topic today. Yeah, I think it's a topic, hell, and how people go there and what happens. Um, Does God send people to hell? Does God send people to hell? You know, that's a a question that calls God's character into into play, his, his character, his goodness. Like, for example, you've heard said, if God is so good, I don't believe he could ever send anybody to hell. Well, the thing is, God gets the rap for it. In other words, uh, we accuse God because yeah. people, because there are people who mm-hmm. do uh, go to hell. Mm-hmm. It's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But because there are people that, that go to hell or just the idea of people that going people to. going to hell, mm-hmm. we put the indictment on God because somehow He's just mean and crabby, and mm-hmm. He just He's just out to get us and out to destroy us. I think when one of the, the actual opposite is true. I think one of the stumbling blocks to this whole idea of hell is the fact that um, we say, "Well, God's got all the power; he, he therefore He should be able to. If He's good, He should advocate and." Um, work in behalf of that goodness to get what he wants, which is basically that none should perish. And I am positive, according to his word and his character and the demonstration of Jesus Christ, that's, that is exactly what he does. He works to um, bring all men to repentance to the revelation of his love and truth. But be, just because God has power, he also gave us power. He gave uh, Adam and Eve power. He gave them authority. And when they believed the lie, they became slaves of the one who tricked them who was the liar, the murderer, and the thief. And so they lost their power. And every time we listen to the devil, he, we give him our power, so he uses it against us. And because, you know, it really hell is because there's a, God is a God of love, actually. It means it's such a paradox. Exactly, exactly. And, and the thing is, in our modern Western thinking, we, we, we tend to think of God as, well, today people think of God as whatever you want to think exactly. of Exactly. Mm-hmm. You make your own God. Yeah. You have a buffet God. Yeah. Little of this, little Eclect- of that. Eclectic uh, God. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let me just show you, uh, let me just read this to you. And this, uh, uh, where someone, uh, a guy named Rod, Ron Hutchcraft wrote a book called A Life That Matters. And he says, uh, and this is particularly true of What's going on in the United States and, and, and has been for right. quite a while and in Europe and, 
and, and you could say even, you know, way the back world. beyond that, maybe the world. But yeah. he says, caught in the epicenter of a culture earthquake, members of this generation are asking questions about the meaning of their lives. In their ongoing journey of groping for a new language of spirituality, they talk of a buffet-style spirituality, which includes offerings like creation spirituality, Eucharist spirituality, Native American spirituality, Eastern spirituality, 12-step spiritualities, feminine, feminist spiritualities, mm-hmm. earth-based spirituality, mm-hmm. goddess spirituality, and men's spirituality, as well as that which would be considered traditional Judeo-Christian spiritualities. So mm-hmm. we've got this whole, this is how the enemy has worked, has mm-hmm. lied to us. Many options. And given us such an, an amorphous, mm-hmm. multi-headed um, Crazy, buffet of, of yeah. errant choices, mm-hmm. uh, errant, uh, well, lies yeah, exactly. uh, about God. Well, we, so, so then to get back to the, the, what the Bible says about who God is and uh, how he really is, 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 is quite, it takes quite a bit. It takes a revelation. It takes a lot of uh, uh, takes explanation. takes a revelation of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> to yeah. uh, get people to that proper thinking about God. So in Matthew 10, it says, uh, starting at verse 20, well, it, it's a, a quite a discussion Jesus is in. Um, he, he's talking about those who are going to be persecuted and they're going to be delivered up and to the synagogues and to the magistrates and to the authorities. Uh, hated by all men for my name's sake. Um, so he's talking about a war, a battle uh, of, of ideologies, a battle of um, truth and error. And obviously everything that we think of as true can't necessarily be true just because we call it true. Uh, he said they're going to persecute you and flee from this city to that. And then he says a disciple is, going, is not above his master. And because he was tormented, per- persecuted, obviously he's saying so will we be. Um, and then he says in verse... Um, he says, but do not fear those, those persecutors, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nothing hidden that will not be made known. How many of us are struggling under the accusations, lies, um, criminations, made-up stories of others who have betrayed us and um, falsely accused us? And he's saying, don't worry about that. Everything is going to be brought to the light. There are no secrets that will not be uncovered even into the depths of our being, unless, of course, we've already made those things right before the Lord God as his spirit brings us to that place of of revelation and repentance. He says, whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. In other words, don't be afraid. And what you hear in the ear preached on the housetops. And then he says in verse 28, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, it's interesting that even, you know, if you're murdered, uh, persecuted, whatever, they cannot kill. They can only kill your body. There's nothing they can do to send your soul to hell. But God says, fear the one who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell and or Gehenna. And then he goes on to say something kind of interesting. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from their father's will. So this would make it seem like some of this is God's will. It's God's will that some would go to hell. Then he goes on to say, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So he's talking about the part where God is in control um, and God is not willing that even the sparrows should perish or the hairs on your head should not be counted. Therefore, whoever confesses me, this is how you get to heaven. Basically, simple. Whoever confesses me before men, him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I didn't come, not, did not come to bring peace but a sword. Now, if you listen to and watch and even observe slightly when you're reading the Word of God, you'll know that when Jesus came down here, the angel said, Peace a goodwill towards men, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Now Jesus is saying, I did not come to bring peace. Well, what he is meaning is God came to bring the reconciliation through Jesus Christ to make peace, to make a way for us to be reconciled to him after the fall and after the separation. But Jesus is also saying, once you accept that offer of peace and walking with God, there's also going to be war because why? 
why would there be war? Why would there be a, a battle? Why would we be thrown into you know, prisons and, and killed and whatnot if there wasn't an enemy of God? Well, there's an enemy that is resisting and always, and he, Jesus said of, of Satan that he was a murderer from the beginning. A liar and a murderer. And mm-hmm. he is a liar and a father of lies. So he is resisting. So mm-hmm. the course of this world, it talks about in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, following the, the course the of, of this, this world, world mm-hmm. the God of this world, mm-hmm. and being under the control of the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Mm-hmm. So there is a spiritual... Rebellion? Uh, this, the, the tide on earth mm-hmm. is, is for evil because we have open our lives yeah. up to the control of the well, God, small G-O-D of this mm-hmm. world. And so when we come to Christ, we are going uh, with, the tide. With, with the grain of God, mm-hmm. but against the grain of the course of this present mm-hmm. evil world. Well, the Bible says that all the world is held under the sway of the wicked of, of one. The, of the wicked one. Mm-hmm. And I think that here's the main, here, bega- here begins the problem. The problem begins with not setting the problem up correctly. And in math, even, if you don't set the problem up correctly, you don't know if you should multiply or divide first or add or subtract or whatever, or what you, whatever, you will not get a right answer. And if you don't put this paradigm together correctly, understanding that God is not, number one, here's a couple of premises we, number one, that God's word is absolutely true because God does not lie and cannot lie. So everything in there, whether we understand it or it makes sense or not, according to God. Secondly, um, you know, and God does, because God does not lie, he has told us that this is a paradigm, that there is, it's a paradigm of war, not of peace, not of, not at this point of, you know, this isn't the promised land, this isn't paradise, this is the battlefield, and it is a place of war, and the enemy is the, the devil, the evil one, the prince of the power there, the prince of this world, the God of this world, who has usurped, stolen, captured, kidnapped God's creation. And so one of the things that in, in the thinking of people today, and if you, you, you go particularly among the younger generation, uh, mm-hmm. the, the millennials, if you please, if, if you go to, like we often go to the, uh, these new age yeah. uh, pagan hippie festivals, and, and people have all uh, such a hodgepodge of ideas. And a lot of people don't really consider, we don't, we don't really Think care if this. it's true or not, <clears throat> but it's what, I want to believe right? because I want, this is the way I want my life to be. So this is how I might sp- speculate life could mm-hmm, be or mm-hmm. should be. But basically, uh, even, Therefore, even, it's, even though it's they true. believe a lot of things that are, that they believe are contradictory, it doesn't matter because this is the way I'm going to believe for now. And this is the way they would continue to believe right. until the light breaks through the revelation well, and, of Jesus Christ. And part Christ. of that is a, a faulty paradigm. You're under the assumption, and it's a false one. It's a lie that you get to pick what the truth is, and you get to define it. But we have, we're, we have, we're not the initiators of this world and its, its um, orbit around the sun, its creation. Therefore, we are participants in it. And some would say, well, unwillingly, it wasn't my choice. Well, it was God's choice to make you and to call you forth. And that is a great privilege. And so the understanding is that as we see the world and it's contradictory ways and it's injustice, um, people are completely, you know, so many wrong things are, are made right that we have to eventually come to the place of there, there has to be some justice. Otherwise, I mean, for, think about yourself. Why do you even care about justice? Because you're built by God to, desire justice and truth and mercy that's how we were made with his in, initial divine impartation of his of his uh his image to us so the, even the fact that there's not justice brings some of these young ones back to the place where you know what um let's go back to the paradigm what's the truth what is the truth and the truth is according to the word of god the truth and so let's look at though how this works together how a good god can throw people into hell because i think this becomes a super problem. Could I just share something here that I think will lay a foundation okay. for what we're talking about here? Um, I'm just going to quote here a little bit from uh, A.W. Tozer. It's a great book called The Knowledge of the Holy, and I highly recommend it, about the attributes of God. And here's what he says, and it's, it, we'll, just re- we'll read through it here, then we'll move on. Holy is the way God is. To be holy 
He does not conform to a standard. He is that standard. He is absolutely holy with an infinite, incomprehensible fullness of purity that is incapable of being other than it is. Because he is holy, all his attributes are holy, and whatever we think of as belonging to God must be thought of as holy. Okay? And then he goes on to say, God is holy in that he has made holiness the moral condition necessary to the health of the universe. So basically, what he's saying that uh, since God's first concern for his universe is its moral health, that is, its holiness, whatever is contrary to this is necessarily under his eternal displeasure. Mm -hmm. To preserve his creation, God must destroy whatever would destroy it. When he arises to put down iniquity and save the world from irreparable moral collapse, he is said to be angry. Every wrathful judgment in the history of the world has been an act of a holy act of preservation. The holiness of God, the wrath of God, and the health of, of the creation are inseparably united. God's wrath is his utter intolerance of whatever degrades and destroys. And he goes on to say he hates iniquity as a mother would hate uh, a disease. A disease that would take the life of her child. So we see that God cannot contradict himself. And though it would appear contradictory to us that he would destroy creation, as in the flood, for example, and, you know, and, and throw people into hell, as, as he has said, would happen, it isn't God's will that this should happen. And because God, however, because God is love, he has created in this paradigm of war uh, another interesting um, part of that, and that is that we have a free will. He gave us power to make choices, but the devil took the opportunity because we have a free will and there's still decisions to be made. He um, deceives us into using our choice-making, decision-making uh, gifts, abilities, um, freedom, to deceive us into making choices that are uh, detrimental to us and to God's creation by making them look like the truth. Therefore, God is angry and he's angry with the wicked because they are being deceived. And anger means that he's, un, he's unhappy with the injustices that are coming out of those decisions. So basically, God cannot contradict himself. So let's look a little deeper into this question of how then can Satan, how does Satan have the audacity to come against God? How does Satan get to, uh, you know, tempt people, uh, deceive people? and draw people into hell when God is not willing that any should perish. And God has made full uh, remedy through Jesus Christ to rescue whosoever will. So it's really, the paradigm is really based on whosoever will and using the choices to believe the promise of God. And, and a lot of people may misinterpret God. And so God gets misinterpreted. The time by the enemy who by the enemy and, and in our minds and mm -hmm. hearts, he is misrepresented uh, in so many ways. But what God is doing is he's involved in a uh, cosmic, eternal rescue operation. Mm -hmm. He is not here. He's. We said before. We'll say it again. He God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not what perish mm -hmm, right. be eternally destroyed well, but have said, everlasting life. Jesus so said you're condemned already. So, well, he so that believeth we were already not drowning. is condemned already mm -hmm. because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of right. God. So we are under the condemnation. We are in the burning building re realizing it or not. Humanity is in a building that's burning it's on fire, there's, and there's only one way out, and Jesus it's is the way. The way. Mm -hmm. He's the door. He's the way. He's the truth. He is the way out of this destruction. So God is the, the rescuer of us. Yeah. Not the, he's not here to condemn us. Well, and the longer you stay in the burning building, the worse it is and the harder it is to get out, too. But, you know, Jesus said, well, we were talking about God and his character last week. And in Isaiah 30, verse um, 15, it says, God is, is still willing to save if we are willing to return to him. You know, um, you know, God gave us a free will, but also he gave us the freedom to disobey him. And is it like some people say, well, that's God's blackmailing you, they're coercing us or manipulating us 
to do what he wants to serve him um, to make, is, is this really what God's, you know, desires to coerce us? If God is God of love, is he going to try to grab you around the neck, intimidate you, coerce you uh, to love him or to obey him? Um, is that what his lordship is all about? Uh, or is there another explanation um, of why he requires our agree- agreement and alliance with him? And yes, that is the answer. There is something else going on that requires us to make a commitment, a covenant, an agreement, believe in him. Otherwise, we are still lost. We, are, we start out lost. God just happens to be smarter than we are. Okay? Mm-hmm. And he knows the whole perspective. He knows everything. Right. And so he but, is interested in our highest good. But see, the things we've got to understand this. We've been told this. Now we have to understand. You know, when we're, we're tempted, when you look at your circumstances and you look at how your life is going, many times we're tempted by the en- enemy to murmur, complain, declare God's not good. Where is he? If God is so good, why doesn't he help me um, or care about me or act on my behalf? Um, you know, could it be actually that God is in the very midst of, of this whole thing, carrying us through and leading us out? Um, Isaiah 42:16 talks to us about that. Um, if we want to look that up for a minute, 42:16 he says that he is with us even in the midst of the, t- of the fiery trial to lead us, to carry us. Um, uh, and I think a lot of times we don't really get how near God is. Um, let's see, 42:16 he says. I will bring the blind by a way they did not know. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them, the crooked places straight. These things I will do for them and not forsake them. You see, even when he, even the blind, he knows people are blind. He knows we're afraid. He knows this and that. But if you're willing to follow, that's why Jesus said follow. Jesus didn't say you have to know everything. Jesus didn't say you have to be perfect or be good. Or, or he didn't say, try to make God happy. He said, just follow me and I'll take care of it. I've got it. This is called the faith walk. Um, so you know how many times you've come really close to just throwing in the towel, giving up on God and saying, I can't do this anymore. But the minute, the second that you really surrender and you really stop trying to do it yourself, then God becomes real and the things begin to turn around and change. Um, let's look at how the devil has so much audacity in coming against God. Let's. How does the devil do that? Well, how did he come before God in behalf of attempting uh, God? If he tempts God, God, is not, God cannot be tempted by anyone. But testing God's people by saying things to God like, Job just serves you because you bribe him. You give him everything he wants. He doesn't really love you. He said the same thing to God about Abraham. If, if you, and this is recorded in the books of um, Jubilees and Joshua, which are uh, extra biblical books that were written and used back in the Old Testament and in the New Testament by the people who were around then, uh, that tell that, that Abraham, uh, the devil was the one who said to God, Abraham doesn't really love you anymore. Test him, tell him to kill his son. And so in doing that, Abraham could have said, well, wow, God's lost his marbles. He's crazy to you know, want me to do this. But Abraham having enough faith in the promise of God, which is super crazy, strong faith, that he could believe God even when God gave a command or did something that looked totally insane, Abraham was still willing to believe God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. And this is how the devil works. So he begins with a challenge and um, that he, you know, he challenges our hope. He hopes to defeat God in us. And he uses God's own word to do it. Um, and you know that God said in his, in his own word that his word endures forever. The scriptures cannot lie. And that God does not a man that he can lie. So Satan uses the scriptures um, like it's like the, the word of God becomes like the law of the Medes and the Persians. Remember in the story of Daniel when they de- had the king um, declare that whoever would pray uh, would be thrown into the lion's den and they would be... Um, Pray to any other God other than him for 30 days. Right. And so it was the Medes and the Persians. So the king, even though he loved Daniel, he could not even reverse his own law because it was that was the law. The law was that you couldn't reverse the law once it was given or spoken. And that's kind of the way it is with this law of God. So God utters a a law um, 
And that, that is the very thing that Satan uses to press his demands, make his demands against God and to take his children to hell and to steal their gifts and especially to destroy their relationship with God. Um, so let's, let's look at one of those laws. He says, um, he says the, the word says, and this is in the beginning, um, the soul that sins shall die. That's the word of God. Um, I think it's written in Ezekiel. Uh, the soul that sins shall die. So what did Satan know? That the minute he got the souls of Adam and Eve to sin or choose him, they would die. He would then have the, the, um, the law books. He could use that law to go back to God and say, look, God, you said the soul that sins shall die. Well, they listened to me. Therefore, I get to kill him. Pull, yeah, he's, he's, Satan is working to pull people to come under the judgment of disobeying God's law. Well, you know, it's interesting that you could, you know, the way I see the soul that sin shall die. Well, why did God even say that in the first place? Well, why does a parent say to the child, the, the child that sticks his finger in the light socket will get electrocuted? Is that so to curse the child, to warn the child? Well, it's just what we it's said. It's a warning. It's a warning. But the devil turns it around and makes it into a... An indictment or God a curse. Is, God is mean and all that. It's, and, it's just like you know, a parent that should know more than their child with anything, whether it's handling, you know, fire, electricity, driving a car, uh, playing in the street. The kid says, oh, man, I should be able to play out in the street if I want to, if I should be able to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, get in the car and, and drive 95 miles an hour in a 45 mile an hour zone, that sort of thing. It's a matter of the uh, the parents sim- knows more. We know this, and and the kid seems to think, no, we know more, mm-hmm. and that's how we are. We think we know how to run our lives. We know uh, what well, nobody's going to tell us what to do. That is the attitude primarily think, among mankind. I think I think the reason that works so well for the devil. The reason it works so well in breaking up parents and children is because the children are convinced that the parents don't love them. Because, and, and Satan pushes the same agenda. Um, yes. You know, God doesn't really love me. If God really loved me, he'd let me do this or he'd let me experience this or enjoy this. So God doesn't love me because God doesn't let me uh, or want me to do this or that. So when we say the soul that sin shall die, of course, Satan is going to take that right. To, see, we have to understand, again, part of the paradigm, part of the true way you set up this problem is to understand not only is there a war, going on between God and Satan, that God cannot lie. God tells the truth. His word endures forever. People have a free will, and the devil is in this equation to try to pull people away from God, to, to persuade them through the lie, to believe that what they're believing is the truth. So now you begin to see, how, does, how do we ever get justice? How does anybody ever get, how is God going to get justified in this whole thing? How is, I mean, he's been so judged. The Lord God has been more judged by people than any other being in the universe. And so we see that let's let's so Satan has to take these things somewhere to present his case because he has to go back to persuade and present and bully and um, you know con- the court of heaven he has to try to lay his claim we know the court of heaven and that the God of the universe knows everything and he knows the truth and he's not he knows about your life he knows more about your life than you do because he knows that you are also being persuaded to judge yourself as being evil and unworthy of heaven. And it's not even about being worthy, but the devil has made his gospel about being worthy because it's all about sin. And it's interesting that in this paradigm of, uh, between God and Satan, the, real, the true paradigm and the, and the counterfeit look-alike demonic paradigm, that Satan pushes the concept of sin and sinner and, and, and really comes up against the idea of us being deceived. He starts off the equation with, you made a choice, you sinned. He doesn't start the, the story with, the deceiver came into your life and told you a lie and then persuaded you to use your free will to make a choice that you believed was a good choice and ended up to be a snare. So he, tell, he begins the story in half, in the middle of the story, and then he begins to convince people that they've got to get rid of their sin. And, and it's very interesting. A couple of weeks ago, we talked to you about the word sinner in the Greek is an adjective, not a noun. God does not use it to define being. He defines it to use, uses it as an adjective to describe 
a person, place, or thing. That's what adjectives do. They describe a person who sins, who does sins. It's describing them as a sinner. It, it's not you are a sinner. Your being is a sinner, but you are doing sins. A sinner is someone who does sins. And, and so, but Satan in his gospel has got to make sin the central theme because he has to make works the, the, the central activity. So sin is a huge, huge problem. But it's not, we have to go back behind right. the sin. Why do people right. transgress the God's, law. God's law? Right. Why, it, why do people well, commit unrighteousness? Because they have listened and accepted deceived the lie deceived, of the enemy. Right, right. Okay. Well, but, but sin, you know, God hates sin. He hates lies because, because he does. is truth. He hates sin because he sin is sees, the fruit of the lie. It's the fruit of the lie, but he hates sin because it sees how sin, and believing people. the lies, and sin destroys people. relationships, mm-hmm. destroys human beings, destroys well, minds. That's why he said, "The soul that sins shall die." He hates sin because sin draws people into the place of death and hell. In Romans four, it's very simple. The, the gospel is given there. To Abraham, before the Ten Commandments were ever given through Moses, who came after Abraham. In 4.13, it says, For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not made to Abraham to, and to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. God was saying, Abraham, do you believe me? Here's a promise. I'm making you a promise. Do you believe me? And Abraham thought it out and said, yeah, I believe you. So then God says, okay, good. That's we're going to base our covenant on our words, your word, my word, that you believe me and I'm going to keep my word. You're going to believe that I can keep my word. I'm going to keep my word and I do keep my word. So he's saying, Abraham, you're going to believe that I'm good, that I'm not a liar. And, and Abraham says, yep, yeah, I agree. You're not a liar. Um, now he goes on in verse 14. For if those who are of the heir, are, sorry, for if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise of no effect. So in other words, there's another option, supposedly, that if we um, we can become heirs through the works of keeping the law and being perfect and not sinning, then faith is tossed out. It's worthless. It's void. And the cross is void. And Jesus dying on the cross, if you add to that your own good works or anything, anything, even things that look good, it's an insult to him. You're saying, you didn't quite finish it. I got to do something. But what we have to do is simply be, be a follower of Jesus Christ, be out of being and abiding comes the doing. There is lots of doing that has to be done, but it comes out of the being and abiding in Jesus Christ. It's like fruit that comes off of a branch. The branch abides. The fruit then is the fruit of that abiding. Because, verse 15, because the law brings about wrath. Isn't that the truth? And Satan loves wrath. He loves it when he can turn wrath against the people by getting them, deceiving, tricking them into breaking the law. For, and then it says, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. So Satan therefore loves the law because if he can keep the law active in our minds even after we're saved, then he can keep us in the place of uh, potential transgressions. And he loves that. It says, it says again, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. So conversely, where there is a law, there is transgression. So we know that Satan loves the law because it provides an opportunity for him to find fault with us, to get us to sin, and then he can come and present his case before the high court of heaven and use the evidence of our sin or transgression of the law, uh, our believing the lie, as evidence to prove that we're listening to him, we belong to him, and he has a right then to us, to our lives, to whatever he wants to do with us, and according to the, he's, he's got us on a technicality, and the technicality is the law. And God, that's why God says the law. Jesus said, it is finished, it's completed, I'm going to, I'm going to upgrade. I never understood myself why he made such a big deal at, at, for, when it was first said in John chapters, um, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, about love, love one another, all the law is now fulfilled in this, that you love one another, et cetera, et cetera. So what, what was happening is Jesus was, tr- was wanting to say to us that the law of works, the Ten Commandments, is all kept perfectly when you love one another, when you love the Lord your God with all your heart, so mind and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So that's what we have going on here is we have the, the, the law all being fulfilled through 
obedience to love and forgive. That was the other thing God did was he gave us a, a commandment to forgive one another. So we see all that going on here now in the, um, in, in the battle between Satan and God for the souls of men. Well, the, the, the key thing here is the souls, the souls of men. Uh, mm-hmm. God doesn't want any of the perish. He wants us to be together with him forever. Yeah, okay. it, yeah. Well, he another... wants us to be together with him forever. Satan wants us, us to be to, with him forever mm-hmm. in the destruction of hell to hurt God and, and the lake of fire. Mm-hmm. That's the way he uh, tries to wreak his revenge against God. Mm-hmm. His his uh, a, his animosity toward God has to. Uh, that's how he vents it. By bringing us to eternal destruction. So the other from thing, the presence and, of the Lord. yeah, another law that Satan uses against us, um, against humans on a regular basis, actually, and something that we don't even, um, I mean, it's so commonplace that we don't even, we don't even recognize ourselves doing it anymore, is to judge one another. He's, the Bible says, God says, judge not lest you be judged. And Satan uses that, that rule, that law written, I think it's, well, it's in Matthew and Mark. Um, judge not, lest you be judged. For, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. With the same measure you measure, it will be measured back to you. Um, and when Satan can get us to murmur against each other, to backbite, to judge, to criticize, to really what it is is you're refusing, you're withholding love from a person is what it is. You're judging them as not worthy of your love. Instead, they need to be reprimanded. They need to be. Uh, you know, set aside. They need to be pointed out. They need to be backbiting, back. You know, getting even. I think we we think that if we judge someone and take matters into our own hands, we'll somehow get some justice, and that's what we, we hate injustice. So, judging becomes a right. What, what we think is a really good opportunity to bring justice, but instead we bring judgment upon ourselves. So when you judge someone. Um, Satan then uses that little little line, judge not lest you be judged. He uses that to justify his own bringing of judgment and condemnation uh, and the, the laws of reciprocity upon you. As for example, if you judge your, and, and sometimes we are not even aware that we're judging, and sometimes maybe we haven't even judged, but because we haven't actually resisted the devil and canceled out any um, any ways he would try to assume that we're judging, he judges us for, for example, if you have a parent that is, um, oh, let's just say that your parent is pretty an uninvolved parent growing up, very neglectful, very unable to parent, distracted. Maybe they've got their major own issues. And you just, in judging them that they're not going to be there for you, not take care of you, you came into the conclusion that I am going to have to take care of myself. And I think that's a very common, very, if not, I mean, it's a survival uh, decision. I'm going to have to take care of myself. Can't trust them. They're not available. They're not there. They don't teach me how to, they don't take time with me. They don't, you know, put any input in my life. They don't love me. Uh, I've got to do it myself. So you now have judged them and in judging them that they're not there for you, uh, you have, you have taken on this, this matter of salvation, survival onto yourself. But then you turn around and when you have children, basically the same thing. They're going to judge you with the same judgment you judge your parents with. And so these judgments just keep coming down and Satan just keeps getting by with it because he gets to, that's why the Bible says to unhook from that sort of thing, we must forgive. What that means is you have to release that parent or that other person, whatever they've done to you, release them from your judgment and turn the crime over to God. That's really what forgiveness means. God, Jesus says, whoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven them. That doesn't mean, okay, I'm going to forgive you. Now you're off the hook and everything's fine and you can just get by with bloody murder. That's not what that means. That means I can't judge it because when I do, I'm going to get hooked on this other clause that says judge not that Satan is going to throw at me. And God knew that. God knew the devil's going to lasso you with that verse and drag you back into the same pit that you just got out of. So God says, don't touch them. Touch not, you know, don't touch them. I'll deal with it. Just turn the crime over to me. Trust me on this and go your way. Lift the burden off yourself. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. How many of you are carrying burdens in lives because they're, they're so mad at somebody else? They're, they're trying to stay mad and stay bitter until they see God, and then they can dump it all out and say, look here, God, this is why my life was so unfair, and this is why, blah, blah, blah. And God will say, ah, uh, did you not read what my word says? Forgive, and I will he, God is going to deal with it. And then going back to the paradigm then, we have a hard time 
Uh, take let's take a really hard verse for a second because I had someone bring this up this week. Let's go to First Corinthians chapter five, verse one. It's it's really in, about judging, judging in the church, judging uh, people who are doing naughty things in the church. And we don't judge in the church much anymore. We don't discern. We don't uh, we don't correct. We don't discipline. We just kind of let let everything go. Yeah. Well, because we don't know how to do it. Really, in, in First Corinthians, or we don't want to do it because of the fear of man. In, in, in uh, this is very interesting. If you read First Corinthians chapter four, you've got the first five verses there. Paul is saying, "Let a man can so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in a, stu- in a steward that a man be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you, or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Okay, notice." He's not uh, a judge by a human court. It's no big deal. Uh, He doesn't judge himself. For I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Okay, so he's going to say, I'm I'm in the hands of God. Therefore, verse 5, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart, because God knows the heart. And then each one's praise will come of God. Uh, remember we said all the things that were hidden but will be revealed. Well, then down in um, then uh, the chapter 5, the very next chapter, he says, it's reported among you, it's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you as such sexual immorality as not even heard or named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. In other words, he's saying somebody in the church here has just married his father's wife. Now, uh, and basically what it's... it's and no one was... Yeah. Well, and no one was, he says, um, he says, he says, um, he says, even though I'm absent from this body and present concerning him who's done this, I've already, he says, in verse three, I have already judged as though I were present concerning him who has done this thing. Now you say, well, he just said, don't judge. Jesus said, don't judge. The word says, don't judge. Well, then why is Paul saying I've already judged him in the same, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, here at verse 5, listen to this. Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And then he says, your glory is not good. Do, do you not know a little leaven? Leaven's a whole lump. That's going to, so he's going on to say, judge it, get, deal with it, get this leaven out. He says, and he says, deliver such a one, whoa, to over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit might be saved. This is a very bold, bold step that churches today don't make because they cannot distinguish between the person and their behavior, and they cannot distinguish between the person's flesh and the person's soul or spirit. And so Paul is saying here, you do the correcting, uh, do the correcting for the sake of their eternal salvation because we don't want them to go to hell. That is, it's, it's the worst thing in the world to have them go to hell or to be deceived into believing they cannot get repentance, they cannot be restored, they cannot get forgiveness, and, they can, and that they're okay. And if you think you're okay, you will never do anything to, to fix something that you already think is all right. So he says if you don't call their attention to this, they're going to be deceived into thinking it's okay. And so he's saying, I am actually judging him to the point where I'm turning to, okay, Satan, have at it. Because he also knew, Paul knew, that once somebody gets turned over to Satan, that God is also acting through what Satan is doing. God is working to bring that person to repentance. He says in Jeremiah, it, says, it is your backsliding that brings you to repentance. Yeah. And so he, Paul was saying, I know there's a devil. I know this guy's being deceived. I'm not judging him because I'm telling him he's going to hell. I'm judging him so he doesn't go to hell by telling him the truth. And turning him over to Satan because he knew that Satan was going to go after this man, um, and that. But then in Second uh, Corinthians chapter five, he says, um, "Restore such a one, lest Satan get an advantage in us or takes advantage of, of you know. Once the person has repented, you receive them back in. You don't, um, um, you know, make make this thing go on and on and on because he doesn't want um, Satan to maul him to death." This is where people come into the place of repentance. Um, and so we want to understand that we have to be able to understand the whole spiritual dynamic here. We don't judge others, but we judge situations that others may be in that will cause them eternal hellfire. And that's where we get tangled up with our today with the, 
the jargon and the uh, rhetoric and the um, theologies and persuasions of the evil one who talks to believers and tells them you can't judge and you have to love, which mm-hmm. then tangles us up about how do we ever judge bad behavior then uh, and, and without being able to speak up against some of these deadly uh, things that are going to pull people into hell, how do we how do we rightly divide the word of God? How do we figure this out? How do we properly do what God's saying? God says this man's soul is so important, and we can't just sit around and, and be scared to address it because it's messy. And I think for us, and it, it and it might cost a friendship. I mean, you know, why do you confront someone because you're judgmental and they're sinning and you're you know, you're judging them or you're saying, guys, we love you so much that this thing is so deadly. It's like going to the doctor, honey. It's like the doctor, when, it, when he does, runs you through the MRI or she or whoever, and, and you just discern a cancer or something, yeah, is, the, is the doctor judging you because he now says to you, I'm sorry, ma'am, you have cancer? Is he judging or is he loving you in the place of saying, here's what we have to do? So, so we, we get this little throwback, catch, catch word, catch phrase, you know, don't judge me that goes through the church. Don't judge yeah, me. Yeah, judge not. I That's, mean, in other words, everybody knows let that me verse, do what I want to do. Don't interfere with my sinful behavior. Because uh, if you do, you don't love me and you're But real me. love, but real love. Jesus really loved us when he laid down his life for us. He judged the world as already condemned. And a lot of precious people were lost in that condemnation. He laid down his life to purchase a way for us to be with him forever, to buy us back. So he didn't consider us unworthy of being bought back or too depraved or he was just going to turn his back on us. He said, no, 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 we got to do something. here." I think it's really the attitude that we speak with. You have to speak your corrections in love, love. speaking the truth in love that they may grow up. Otherwise, if you just come with some, you know, doctrinal commandment oriented religious approach, what Paul is they'll right. know that that's not love, that's condemnation, and they don't need that. What Paul is doing when he writes to the Corinthian church, he says, mourn about it, you have not mourned, grieve about it that this is going on, mm-hmm. bring the correction, and then bring the restoration. Jesus said, don't judge according to outward appearance, John, um, yeah. uh, John seven twenty four, but judge righteous judgment. Mm-hmm. So there's a place where we don't necessarily just judge the fruitfulness of how how we're doing. Paul says, I don't know. Judge my own I might self. be doing real well. I might not be doing real well, but I'm just doing my best by God's yeah. grace to obey him. And he who has the final word on this so is the Lord. So our focus needs to be not on ourself, uh, but on the Lord's will in our life. And, and he takes account of whatever that might be. But when we judge people, uh, or, or when we correct them, let's say, or we must, like you said, we must do it in a spirit of brokenness. Spirit of love. And, and, and they will right. tell. I think they can tell. That's the only way you're going to get through. Otherwise, it's going, there's going to be a block. And the devil's going to block their ability to receive correction because it's coming out of a bad attitude or a, a, a wrong motive. Another part of this lie scheme that Satan uses to bind us to him is another word, the word that Jesus used. Um, he says, whom you yield yourself, or he who commits sin becomes a slave of sin. And so Satan knows with that, too, he's got another uh, word of God that cannot be changed, that if you commit sin, you become his slave. Whom you yield yourself, servant to obey a slave, you become. Again, we must put all these things in the right paradigm, setting the problem up correctly. There is a devil who who tricks us and uses God's very word against God when he goes to heaven and says, but you said, God, you said the soul that sins shall die. You said that if they judge, I could judge them. You said, Lord, but God was saying these things to warn us, like the parent who's warning his little one not to stick the finger. He's not trying to say, okay, if you do this, I'm going to punish you. I'm going to, I hope you get electrocuted. He's not saying anything like that or cursing him. He is saying, don't do it. But Satan is, because God knew, God knew Satan was out there. He knew that Satan was going to use every crumb, everything, the law, the word, the Holy would take the Word of God, take the, every everything He could take, including the Gospel of Jesus Christ, and twist it around to use it against God and against God's people. Well, that's certainly what's what's happened. But we don't believe there's a devil, so then we have nothing to work with and nothing. And we sense, don't believe and anything that, goes. And at we that don't point. believe that there is a holy God who is who He says He is, because we have 
We just have our own well, opinions about him but we, that have been pressed on us from different we've religious lived, systems and from our own experiences. But we but see that's the problem. The problem is we're ignorant. And Jesus said, ignorant. "What do you say in Isaiah that yeah. he would lead the blind? He'd lead the blind by a way that." And my question was, "Okay, Jesus is going to lead the blind. Why doesn't he just heal the blind? You know, maybe he is going to heal the blind, but in in the meantime, he is willing to commit himself to leading the blind. Um, and this is what." And unfortunately, we've got blind leading blind, and we think they're not blind, and we don't know anything. But the Holy Spirit, that's why the Holy Spirit dwells in us. You know, you are not as, John, First John says, the anointing is within you, and you do not need that any man teach you. So many of us think, oh, I don't know anything. I've got to go to this teacher. I've got to listen to this conference. I've got to go to get this workshop. I've got to, you know, if you would spend time with the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, God would lead you, read the Bible. God would show you. And then again, you might listen sometimes, and it's helpful to hear teachers who, like we read this morning, they have written and thought and meditated on these things for a long, long time. And so they have some helpful insights and to help connect the dots, if you will, because that's why we're here. That's why God gave preachers and teachers and pastors to teach us. Um, but going back to the, I, okay, we have someone on the line here. Go ahead. Hello, this is Sue. Hi. Hi, Sue. How's it going? Hi. I had a question about what you had just said. You said that when you use the wrong words and you're correcting in anger, that you mentioned that it creates like a in a block in a child, mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. that he, he's not able to accept correction because it's been done wrong. Mm-hmm. So how do you pray through that mm-hmm. um, if it's just a circumstance, and how do you pray through it if it's a generational um, okay. thing that's been passed down. Well, the first thing I would say, if we're my child, and I had to speak to them on something that I already knew that they had their mind made up on or they were already deceived about or something, I would first, before I ever talk to the child, I'd bind the spirit that's operating in them, the one that's operating in them to blind or harden their heart. Um, and I would take authority over, and that's the way we converse when you go into a conversation with someone if you have the lead time on and sometimes we're just thrown into a situation and then you might have to just do it you know under your breath whatever but i would bind that spirit of rebellion or blindness or hardness of heart or fear the unloving spirit is another one that you can bind because that one makes them believe it's the filters that they're hearing you through that makes it distorted and twisted to them that they're that you don't love them you know so, so that's it you're, you're you're taking you're taking spiritual authority a- authority mm-hmm. So they do not misinterpret what right. you're doing. Taking down the filters. And part of what mm-hmm. the enemy is doing, too, is try to stir you up, you up personally as a parent. With fear. With, with anger, and with fear. fear. Well, I think fear is the bigger one, fear and anxiety, because a lot of times we correct our children or our loved ones out of anxiety and fear. And this is where the parents make the biggest mistake. I believe when you see something going on in your child's life, let's just say that they're older, they're a teenager, they now get to make choices and you don't get as much control over them anymore and they're making some dumb choices and you're freaking out. And you're, 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 the anxiety and the fear in you is trying to mix with the correction so that not only are they being blinded and hardened in their hearts and thinking mom doesn't know what she's talking about and she doesn't care on that end, but the devil on your end is trying to get you to operate out of fear and not love. When you see the, 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 the trials and tribulations that your children are going through, one of the first things we have to go back to is God and say, God, you've got it. I know you've got it. I pray to you. They're your children. I've dedicated them to you. I, I bind the powers of darkness. I bind the power of fear in me that when I speak to them, I will speak to them as the oracles of God. I will speak to them as your spirit. And that will get to it. So you take down the filter in them by binding those demons and you tell God to remove the anxiety and apprehension from you because otherwise what's going to happen is you're going to com- communicate your freaked out position and that's going to cause them to panic or them to, dis- to conclude mom doesn't have any confidence in me. Mom's mad at me. Um, I can't do anything right. I might as well go be bad anyway because she doesn't believe there's anything good about me. So you really have to see your child through the eyes of Jesus Christ and see these, these things that they're going through as a refining process. Um, and that God is working on all things work together for good. And when, when, see, this is where you become courageous. If you're not going to freak out and panic, um, you're going to say, um, God, you got this. 
and you knew from the foundation of the world this is going to happen today, and you know I want to stand as you're, and having done all the stand, I want to stand speaking to them as the oracles of God and not with fear. And I really believe that that anger and fear uh, has got to go. Otherwise, your message will be contaminated. And your second question was in the generations, um, you see those patterns of what? what do, you, do you notice any patterns you're seeing? Patterns of um, rejection of the word or what? Um, no, it just um, in in one child, it, it literally started when they were under a year old. There was that rebellious responsiveness uh-huh. uh, okay. in mm-hmm. all kinds of circumstances. And that's that's too young to have learned it, so it must go right. out of a generational. Exactly, exact good observation. That's exactly right. And sometimes kids are come out of the womb and they're, they're freaking out and autistic and colicky and all kinds of stuff. And they were already, you know, they were traumatized um, by whatever they have experienced already in that short duration of their lifespan. Something that has come through the generation, something that has been permitted, highlighted on the DNA by the evil one to bring down as a, and sometimes there are in generational things, there are certain, like you'll see patterns where the, the oldest child uh, gets attacked or a lot of times people will lose a particular child, you know, generation after generation, the son, the third son, the first son, the second daughter, whatever. Sometimes you'll have, and these things kind of passed on as almost like as a rhythm of, of demonic, uh, uh, you know, inheritance, whatever. But when you see this going on in a child that's very, very young, you go back. Now you say, okay, Lord, show me where does this come from in the generational line? And you'll ask, think about things like, okay, is this, who acted like this? Who's already lived? Is it like grandpa or grandma or Aunt Susie or whoever it is? I'm sorry, your name is Sue. I didn't mean that, but um, that's the word I use. Or Aunt Tilly or whatever. So you go back and see where that has come from. And then you forgive that person for being misunderstood, misjudged, uh, for being abusive, disobedient, harsh, physically violent, whatever it is. Uh, rebellious is probably a good one if you're seeing resistance in your child. Try to describe their behavior and, and look at look backwards to see where that behavior initiated. And then when you find that break in the plumbing, so to speak, as it's coming down the bloodlines, you begin to, um, uh, you first of all, forgive those people for what they did to others and maybe what others did to them because sometimes when you, you reciprocate with a curse or a rebellion, like for example, when, when the Native Americans were slaughtered, I'm sure that as we were getting bloodshed on our hands for slaughtering them as the white people, that they were also flipping curses back onto us. So there's both things are going on. So now we have, we live in the native dominated spirit dominated um, areas or properties and we are troubled. Um, I know one region area town that was, um, you know, chief sitting bull was the main head honcho over there. And they have some very violent, uh, the, the, the sign of that is uh, sudden, sudden violence, uh, deadly violence, um, very murderous bloodshed, a lot of bloody, sudden, violently, very deadly things happen. And that's what happens over there, especially in their car accidents and their accidents are just freak accidents. And the people who live there, and they don't even have an idea that that's a territorial spirit. It's a revenge. It's a getting even because... Their land, the, the land was taken away. But that's kind of the subject. Maybe that's for someone else out there. But um, I would say forgive the person in the bloodline and then bind that spirit and forbid it to continue operating. Because you have to take away the devil's operating privileges. And one of the privileges he has is he gets a right to judge because they were judged, therefore they judge back. We forgive them, release the crime to God because it's not the human who's the problem. It wasn't Aunt Tilly who was the problem. She was also under the curse. So once you forgive and then you, you cancel out the agreement, that's the second thing. You say, okay, I, as, a, as the authorized representative of my child who is yet under the age and under my authority, I cancel out the um, agreement with um, I'm going to do it myself or rebellion or fear or whatever you want to name it, the fear of, of you know having to control everything or losing being perfect or whatever it is, I bind and cancel out every agreement that we as a generation have made with that spirit of fear and control and perfectionism. And then you declare the opposite. I declare that we are set free. We are at peace. Um, Jesus Christ knows us, loves us, 
and that we are saved through his righteousness. So it's basically three things. You identify the source of the problem and forgive those people. Secondly, you identify the lie. You cancel out that lie. And third, you declare the truth. Does that make sense? And ask God to restore unto you those things that have been stolen. Because this is not just an individual problem. Satan has attacked a bloodline family bloodline because of the destinies of the family. See, every family has a destiny. And Satan is trying to screw up the family to the place where nothing of the destiny gets accomplished. Um, good. Any, any, um, so does that make sense? Yes. That answers my question. Do I have time for one other one? Oh, sure. Why not? Um, what, what if it's the other parent that is acting that way? So, so your mate is responding in a way that is destructive and anger and bitter and hateful towards a child. And how do you, how do you stop that? I mean, God's power defeats what is happening there, mm-hmm. but there are, there's all kinds of stuff being thrown out of the mouth into mm-hmm. the child. Well, you know, when you're married to someone that the enemy can also activate through them, through their words or behaviors to, to continually enforce his cause for destruction in the life of the family. And so if you're married, then number one, you, you can come uh, you can come on behalf of your husband or wife, whatever spouse, to, the, to their bloodline and address the same, the same authority to go to their bloodline because you're married, you're one flesh, you can bind their demons and you might have to do that first. Um, and, and, and also the blindness in them because they don't even see what they're doing. They really, they really don't. And this is, this, is the diff, this is where it gets very difficult because people don't see stuff. So you have to pray that God will show that person, open their heart, open their mind, their eyes, to bring them to repentance. And I'm, I'm telling you, more people are locked up in demonic programs and on, on many levels. They're not just locked on one level. They're locked in dimensional levels, layered in their, their prisons, a prison within a prison within a prison, and only God can set us free. So with that, you need great wisdom and endurance, and you need, and but, uh, but understanding that the child is an individual with a separate soul, a separate, you know, destiny, and in kin, it does not have to come under the, the control and persuasion of the evil one that comes through the, the hateful parent because the child has to understand they have to give account for themselves. And so they have to stop reacting and, and actually probably grow up sooner than you'd like to have them grow up, but grow up to know that not everything in the world is great, but I can choose righteousness. You have to teach the child to, to shun evil and to choose righteous and help them to identify the lies. Like the, you know, for example, if they see their other parent doing something that is really wrong, inappropriate, um, losing control, beating someone, swearing, you can help the child understand that is not my dad. That is a demonic spirit. And then you say, honey, let's pray for dad. Let's pray against the spirit. Let's bind the spirit of swearing or violence. Let's let's ask Jesus to bind it, to shut it down, so Dad can love us and know us and whatever. So it's a matter of helping the child to see too. It's not about them. It's not because they're bad. It's not because they didn't do something right. It's about war. It's about war. It's about demons tormenting the people in the family, and the demon is tormenting him or her to believe a lie about someone else, therefore breaking up that relationship. So you want to promote love and forgiveness and um, faith in God in all situations. Does that make sense? Jerry, you have to say anything about that? Okay. I hope that makes sense to you, my dear. And um, for the rest of you, too, we really do invite your questions. Um, The number is 347-215-8051, and we'll be with you again next week. Uh, For more information on who we are, you can check us out at uh, truelightchurchmn.org. That's uh, our church, truelightchurchmn.org. And uh, we meet in Rogers, Minnesota, and or um, liferecovery.com. And, uh, well, honey, you want to wrap us up today? Well, very good. Uh, you know, the thing is, we didn't really get into much of the description. There are people that have, um, God has allowed them to see some of the realities and truth about hell and what hell is like, the lake of fire, that sort of thing. 
and it's it's horrible beyond horrible. And uh, but God has done everything possible mm-hmm. uh, to keep us from going there and to give us eternal life. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want us to be involved with caught in eternal death. He right. wants us to be uh, caught up in eternal life with him. So the goodness of God calls us to repentance and the reality of of hell, the reality of heaven needs to be real in our hearts if you are a believer so that we are involved in God's rescue program. We're here not just to make our feather our nest with a little down. We're here to uh, rescue the perishing. The old song goes, rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Mm-hmm. That's our mission. That's our call. That's the call of Jesus. He came, mm-hmm. gave his life on the cross mm-hmm. for us, rose again, is alive right now, and he sent the Holy Spirit okay. to uh, join with him so we can join with him in this phase of his rescue program. So, Amen. We prayed for those two who are struggling today. Um, to appropriate the grace of God for themselves or others or to forgive them. And, Father, I pray that you give grace and the revelation of Jesus Christ so that they can be, believe the truth. Amen. Thank you for joining us, and uh, we look forward to being with you again. Uh, uh, if you have any questions would like to contact us, you can email us um, at mcole at liferecovery.com or jerry at yahoo. Yahoo.com. Amen. Okay, God okay. bless you guys. Bye-bye. I have an emergency. What is your location? Because there's a war for your soul. I think so. I mean, to, because it's. Um, we don't want to discourage people.